best that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you've never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, welcome everybody to a big episode, episode number 160 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday, November the 5th, 2022. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank Steve Menzi, Mikey Singer, and Amit Acharya for joining me on Thursday for the traditional pre-expo. Let's get into it show. That was great. Check it out if you'd like. It's on the YouTube channel tomorrow on Collectible Live at 7 o'clock Eastern. Mark Mader will be joining. I've called that show Tickets versus Sports Cards. So that should be very interesting. And another episode of Collectible Live will follow on Tuesday at 7 o'clock Eastern with Scott Roskind, who is the Chief Visionary Officer of Beckett. Scott will be joining us on Tuesday. Note next weekend, no episodes of Sports Cards Live or anything on this channel. I will be at the Toronto Sport Card Expo, and I look forward to seeing a bunch of you there. I would like to shout out the Center Stage app. Download the app in the App Store for quick comps, whether you are at a card show or you're pricing your cards for sale on any platform. The app is continuously improving, so please join me in supporting the great team that they have assembled there and the tasks that they are undertaking. I want to shout out Leighton Sheldon and Just Collect. Leighton will be joining Sports Cards Live on Saturday nights for a short segment where the working title right now is Vintage Spotlight. He'll be making his debut tonight. Also, happy to announce that Whatnot is back as a sponsor of Sports Cards Live. We will be streaming to Whatnot starting with the next episode. And tag grading, I want to let everybody know, tag grading will be at the Toronto Expo next weekend, accepting submissions, on-site submissions, and we'll also have a booth on the show floor showcasing all of their slash our technology. Toronto Expo, speaking of that, Thursday, November the 10th, after the show ends, come down to the Jack Astors for a bit of a dinner, drinks. We're going to, I've been, I've been organizing these, making reservations for these dinners now for over 10 years. So please come out and join. Should be fun. Reservation is in my name. That's Jack Astors. I'll help you find it later. Come see me at, at the expo on Thursday. I want to thank everybody, all our loyal viewers, all our loyal listeners on the podcast. Thank you so much. If you're not yet subscribed, please take a moment and do so. And as always tonight, your comments, your questions are in play. So do not be shy, but let's get to today's episode. Tonight's guest, he got his first pack of baseball cards in 1982. There were 82 Fleers as a reward from his father as a kid. He started drawing baseball players and he evolved into a professional fine artist and illustrator and is now a proud and very popular artist for Tops. His favorite teams are the New York Mets and the New Jersey Devils, which I love to hear. And his favorite athlete is Mike Schmidt, full stop after Mike Schmidt. Originally from Long Island, New York, currently hailing from Brooklyn, New York. Let's bring him out. Andy Friedman, welcome to Sports Cards Live, buddy. How are you? Doing great. Nice to be here. Thanks. Yeah, hey, nice to it, see you, Jeremy. It, it, it's good to have you, Andy. It's good to have you. You know, um, first of all, talk about Mike Schmidt. Why is Mike Schmidt your favorite athlete? Um, because when I asked you for your favorite athlete, you're like Mike Schmidt. I'm like, is that it? You're like, yeah, that's about it. so. Talk about that. What's up with Mike Schmidt? Well, you know, the answer to that question also explains why I love baseball cards so much and how I got into them. The back of his card 
tells a really inspiring story of a rookie who didn't really excel. I think he was maybe third third in strikeouts that year, and uh, his own teammates used to pretend they were caught a cold after the whiff of his bat when he would come and return to the dugout, you know. Um, only to come back the next three seasons, you know, with more home runs than, than anyone uh, leading the league. Uh, as a rookie in Little League at age 12, actually I have my, my, uh, my card right here, uh, it was my only season actually, I struck out every at bat. So that was a very inspiring story because I knew that you could have a terrible rookie year and, you know, come back. You could, you could. I had the chance to interview him for a piece I did for the New Yorker, an illustrated interview. And I had the chance to ask him, like, what's the mindset? 22, 23 year old rookie who's being made fun of by his own teammates. How do you come back the next year with all that confidence to lead the league in home runs? He said, well, I just had to kind of, you know, learn to not strike out. (laughs) <laughs> How do you do that? Had to kind of remember that the game is fun and stop trying to kill the ball, put so much pressure on myself, and just kind of swing easy. Took a few steps back in the plate so I could change my angle. And that, to me, is a metaphor that any baseball player or any athlete or any human being, I think, can find meaning from. So... When I kind of quit Little League and just kind of like started to get into baseball again, just kind of for fun, I remembered his kind of nothing stance. And instead of the coach telling me to bend my knees and my elbows and the head, you know, helmet was too big. And when I just kind of started practicing that, I kind of learned how to hit. And I've applied that technique, I think, throughout life. You know, find, 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 your, find the, the fun in it and just kind of... Swing easy. Don't put too much pressure on yourself maybe as well, right? Then just, just have the fun. Yeah. Sounds so like that's a, the... Yeah, inspirational story. Uh, how he inspired you. That That's really cool. And the chance, the, the fact that you got to interview him and talk to him, pretty, uh, pretty awesome as well. Uh, that was crazy, yeah. So the New Jersey Devils, for a moment, the New Jersey Devils are your favorite hockey team. You know, I'm in Canada. I'm a hockey fan. Uh, why the New Jersey Devils? Is that you? You grew up there. You were going to games. Yeah, yeah. I grew up like I could probably hit a baseball to Nassau Coliseum from the lawn I grew up on. So I remember all four Islanders Stanley Cups. The Islanders were so hometown for me. I mean, we. I grew up in East Meadow, which bumps up against Uniondale, which is where the Nassau Coliseum is. Everyone was an Islanders or Rangers fan. Uh, No one cared about the Devils. This is the green and red Devils pre-Brojor. I don't know. I related to them. And I felt like they were just for me. And they were. Nobody was wearing a green and red Devils jersey. So they just kind of became my team. They were underdogs. I was in a, this is probably 86, 87. I was in a deep uh, underdog phase, you know, watching the natural and RoboCop movies like that. So it fit in with the narrative. Right. I, I'm yeah. right. It remi- reminds me like Kirk Muller and uh, Mel Bridgman. Was Mel yeah. Bridgman there that I mean, that's all I can remember Not, right now. No, after that, John McClain. And John I was McClain. there for, you know, the first two from the USSR, Fatisov and Kasatanov. Right. Uh, Sean Burke was the goalie. 
right. yeah. And then Chris Terreri. I actually had a Chris Terreri jersey that nice. were in school. I, I didn't even get the Burke one. I got the backup jersey. So it's just, uh, you know. Awesome. Gotta love those green and red devils. Yeah, for, that's that's it's pretty cool. I like that you have that uh, that connection. As you know, as an American, I you know hockey doesn't get a, enough love down down south of the border. So it's nice when someone who's there does give it some love. Uh, yeah, I want to just uh, let the let the people watching and listening know how how you came to be on the show. I used to do this all the time, and um, it's just I think it's a cool story. So um, I remember meeting you briefly at the mint collective you were set up there um selling your art and uh that's where i we first came across each other and i re do you remember that i do yeah okay cool um you better you better say you do remember. <laughs> <laughs> um I yes i do have a vague recollection of being in vegas yes yeah good 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 yeah same here but um we actually kind of met again here at the beckett industry summit which was at the very uh and the beginning of, of October. And um, we hung out quite a bit there, actually. You you were set up uh, at your table with your brother. You had your your wares out, your, your original art cards. And you were kind of right across from where I was hanging out, which was at the tag booth. And so I remember I came up and chatted with you quite a bit. And uh, and then we had a, at least one or two meals together. And kind of it, it was nice because I felt like I got to know you. Uh, and to the point where you know, not just someone that I could call and say, hey, do you want to come on Sports Cards Live? But like, actually, I feel like we formed a relationship It actually became somewhat of friends. It was it was it's kind of cool how that can happen um, in the in the sports card community, wouldn't you say? It does happen that way. And I think there's just an automatic commonality between collectors of introversion, perhaps, even though we're in an extroverted setting. Um we we all know what we love about these pieces of cardboard and the fact and, that we share it with each other and travel great distances to do that so you know you're going to have a hard time like not connecting with someone i i feel like at a a show at a show like that or 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 any any time you you meet someone who shares this uh passion uh yeah. so yeah you bet it was great great talking with you both both times and now 11 no. minutes and 08 into it there we go we uh we had we went for some sushi and then what was funny we were walking through uh kind of the, the vegas hotels and we came across a rare bookstore it happened to be the bookstore that uh the the, the expert on pawn stars worked at they used to uh, i forget the name of the store but uh rebecca i think is her name i asked because right. we were we were there and i asked the lady who was working i said did Rebecca work here? And she said, yes. I said, how often do you get asked that question? She goes like a hundred times a day. And uh, we were, but we were enamored by a couple of the books they had in their, in their showcase. I was particularly taken by the original, the original uh, published book, uh, Superman. And I remember, was, yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's really cool. And I, you know, you start thinking about, you know, you're in Vegas, you start thinking about this, the, the novelty of it all. Maybe you buy that book for whatever it was, three or $4,000. And then, then you think to yourself, well, I'd probably rather have his 1940 uh, bubblegum card, the card number one that's more of his rookie. So, you know, I didn't buy anything. I don't think you did any either. But that was a pretty cool store, hey? It was really beautiful. I mean, right away, you, you know, you, you can walk into certain stores, so certain shops that have, have, have an aroma of the product, a uh, scent, you know, in the room. But this is almost like a visual scent of uh, – 
ink on old paper. There's just like a, a, a dark brown green kind of thing happening and you go up close and yes, that's Superman, that's Grapes of Wrath. You know, that's what whatever. I mean, they're just so, it's beautiful, beautiful uh, jacket dust covers, you know, and, and yeah. the, the way the they fray, the, you know, the color of the, of the pages. Um, beautiful. Yeah. It's like, you know, what, as, card, as card collectors, I speaking for myself as a card collector, you know, we I, I collect it, it's like paper, it's cardboard similar to collecting tickets or magazines or programs or photographs. It's all paper. Books are paper too, for the most part, paper and cardboard. So it doesn't surprise me that I found myself really intrigued standing in there. And I had to make sure that I kept my wallet in my pocket and didn't just very impulsively drop, you know, a good chunk of money on something that I don't know that I would have really loved forever. Whereas I don't want to buy a card. I pretty much am going to love it forever. So let's uh let's let's go a couple comments in the chat here we're gonna i'm gonna start from the most recent go backwards here iconic baseball says oh who didn't love rebecca i mean yeah she was not too she was certainly not hard on the eyes uh rebecca from the expert from pawn stars t dot lets us know that the astros just hit a three run homer what's up michael ham always good to see you buddy brian adams always good to see you as well we got t dot says andy your favorite sports are red and white I think he's talking. I think he's means hockey. Daniel Busby, good to see you. It's been a month or so. Glad to have you back. T dot loves my shirt. It's a Wayne Gretzky rookie card shirt. Jake Dahl, what's going on? Hello, T dot. And we got Joe Perot from Santa Cruz in the house. What's up, Joe? I'm sure, you're what's working happening, Joe. Thanks for being here, Albert Jones. Good evening to you. So. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's get into a little bit about your history. Uh, uh, Leighton Sheldon will be joining us momentarily, but uh, Andy, let's talk a bit about your your history in the hobby and um, kind of just take it. I alluded to it in the opening in the intro, but mm -hmm. we've had a lot of people join since then. So take us through your hobby history, so we can the the people watching our fellow hobbyists can put put into context and really get the foundation for who you are as a collector. And just a quick hello there to to Jeff McMahon and sorry to hear the Habs lost. All right. Yeah. Take it away. Yeah, sure. Uh, you mentioned I received packs of 82 Fleers or award I did for accompanying my dad in his Datsun 280Z around town doing errands on a Saturday or Sunday. And in the end, we'd end up at a smoke shop. I think he'd smoke Grenadier's cigars and at, uh, at the counter were uh, packs of 82 Fleer. So Always wanted these cards, did not follow baseball, did not know any of the names. I was enthralled by the colors, the design, the familiarity of the images. They looked like old photos of a family I didn't know, but somehow related to. I don't know. They captured my imagination. I was five, six, seven years old. Uh, so that's really my entry into collecting and into cards is is the, the artifact of it the physical object the design the psychology of the card i i like to almost call it it wasn't until 86 as a long islander got really swept away with met fever uh 86 met so like definitely started following baseball now you also have mike schmidt winning the mvp in 86 so that kind of worked along with 
my narrative because I was familiar with Schmidt already to even pay attention to him. And that's because I received an 82 Fleer Schmidt in one of the packs. And it looked like my friend dad, uh, my dad's friend, Steve, which kind of endeared me to him because I just thought it looked exactly like my dad's friend. Uh, so then I started paying attention to that guy in 86. And there he was, you know, he was the old, old, old man in the league of, I think, 36 or 37 at the time. Uh, and just to watch him lead the league in home runs that year, I believe one MVP was exciting. So I got swept up in 86 fever. And in 85, already started collecting garbage pal kids and WWF wrestling cards. And those will be found at the counter at B&B Stationery on Merrick Avenue uh, in East Meadow, same town as uh, hometown as Frank Viola. Uh, and I ignored the baseball cards really until 86. And that's how it really started, you know, with a desire to kind of like collect all the 86 Mets and then get a Mike Schmidt and take it from there. But then the traded set came out at the end of the year and now we were already hooked. Yeah. So now it's like, what is Jose Canseco? What now? And my, I knew all the stories like, wait, my dad had, I mean, we all know this story now. What, you, you had those cards, you threw them away. Oh my God, I'm going to have to keep 20 of them. There's a card show where, what day? So the first Saturday of every month in the basement of the Coliseum Motor Inn, right across from the Nassau Coliseum. Uh, and you're right, right across from, I think, Borelli's, if anybody knows, Hempstead Turnpike and Merrick Avenue in the basement once a month. Cigarette smoke filled the air. And my brother and I were in paradise. <laughs> nice nice and that's really right. how it started uh that's a hey man it's a typical authentic way to get in they're all unique everyone's story is unique in its own way but uh it's just nice to hear how other people got involved in the hobby all right we're going to uh before we bring on Layton, who has joined us now Layton, i see you there buddy we're gonna bring Layton on in one second for our vintage spotlight segment but uh in the meantime before we do that though Brian Adams had a question for you, Andy. What's your favorite genre of music? Hmm. Yeah, I was raised on American popular standards and and rock and roll and singer songwriter rock. But I, I think I think for the same reason I like Mike Schmidt, I go with country blues on that one. Probably pre thirties. Uh, you know, I'll say any country blues music. Yeah. There you go, Brian. And iconic baseball, speaking of 82, Fleer says the Ripken rookie card is his absolute ugliest card. Yeah, I got to agree. I like the tops. Is it the tops traded where he's, it looks, it's just such a beautiful, it's him and his pose with the green and the green grass, the blue sky. Layton can confirm for us. Let's bring him on. Let's bring Layton on. Layton, how are you, bud? Hey, gentlemen. How are you tonight? Doing good. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks. Good. And What's you up, know, listen, when I told each of you that you each were going to be on tonight, you're like, oh, I know him. Yeah, so, I know Andy. How's nice it going, to see you, man. Yeah, great to see you. Good stuff. So as I mentioned in the opening, guys, uh, and welcome Leighton to the show. Uh, Leighton's going to be joining Sports Cards Live for the foreseeable future for a segment called, we, I mean, it's working title as of about four minutes before we went live called Vintage Spotlight. So we're going to bring Leighton on and uh, Leighton. You have a couple things you want to chat about. Uh, why don't you take it away and just jump right in? Because I think these are both really interesting topics. And um, let's see what you have to say. Absolutely. So first off, thanks again for having me on. Uh, Andy, appreciate you uh, sharing the limelight with me here. Um, so uh, where I want to start is really cool. We've been open for about a month. Our new retail store in Melbourne, New Jersey uh, called Just Collect. And it's a vintage curated store. Uh, however, last night we had our first kids night. And that's where I wanted to start tonight. Uh, so first, hobby is alive and well. Second, if you've not been 
to your hobby store recently and people have told you, you know, this Pokemon thing is real. It's here to stay. I know this is a sports show, but I want to be clear. I'm on the front lines now having a store. Last night, at least 50-50 Pokemon sports, um, which I thought was super interesting. And the biggest takeaway, which I thought was really great, was that it didn't matter if my son was, uh, he's almost eight, he was there. Um, and admittedly, he's not an avid card collector yet, but he was caught up in the excitement, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and so what I thought was really great is trading was very prevalent. And really, no one took out their apps to look up the price. No one took out the latest comp on eBay. It was like, hey, I like your Jacob deGrom card, and I have an extra, you know, whatever it is, uh, Otani card that I don't really care about. And, you know, I wouldn't say it was even like two to two in that way, but I really liked that it just seemed at the most basic level, all the kids that were there, with the exception of a couple, that were definitely like, hey, what's this card worth? graded i'm like oh you know um i thought it was really great to see um you know like i said the ages of 8 to 15 years old interacting um very much on even footing uh on on sports cards and, and pokemon cards it was wonderful it, it's great to hear that you know I, I love that you're saying the hobby is alive and well i uh I, there's a new podcast i just saw on instagram uh chad blesnick just started a podcast called the hobby is alive. I think it's a great name for a podcast. So you, yeah, and you just affirmed it right there, uh, you know, with boots on the ground in your own uh, newly opened shop. And congratulations on that. I want to go to Andy for a moment and just ask you, like, Andy, you've been to a couple of card shows lately. Uh, what are, What's your sort of view on the amount of kids that we're seeing and the the energy coming from them? Did you did you see any? I guess I have to I have to qualify. First of all, the the, the industry summit card show in Las Vegas was wasn't a very busy show so i don't know how many kids i even remember seeing at that one but the what about the mint collective thinking back to there which was sort of an industry type of show uh what did you what did you find there andy i, th I saw a lot of energy you know you got you got uh blake uh uh blake down who's who's the blake down I mean, come on, that that kid's got enough energy for the you know the whole every every kid in America, uh, and I think there's a there's a lot you know there's a lot of kids with with a lot of enthusiasm. But uh, yeah, I think I had an arm wrestling match with Blake at Mint Collective. <laughs> um, I saw yeah, I, I I talked to a lot of kids, and for me, it's a different kind of experience because I, I don't have PSA slabs and I don't have you know, relic cards, I don't, I have paintings. And so explaining what I have really seems to mystify them when they understand that what I have here is the painting and what I have here is the card. They, they don't understand. Yeah. Like you put, you paint it on this piece of paper. I think they're used to people painting maybe on iPads. So just the whole revelation that I would, choose to paint with ink and watercolor on a piece of paper, but then explaining that process and then how it gets turned into the card, turning over the original and seeing nothing but a signature and turning over the original and seeing the card. So I get into great conversations with the kids. They're really into it. But the, the, the adults turned in, turn into kids when we talk about that stuff too. Fair comment right there. You Were you not just at the Chantilly show or a big show recently? What, was. what was the... What was the level of kind of youth at that show? I wasn't there to, to speak you know, to it. Honestly, same, same as always for, for me personally, from my point of view. 
I, what I, about what I, you see? Just, just in terms of kids walking around, did you see a lot of kids in the I room? I did. Yeah, I did. Well, it's good to know. I mean, listen, we I always hope that that's going to be the answer because uh, it's just a symbol of the future of the hobby. And um, yeah, I'm not worried about it. It's going to be long, long, a long, long, live long and prosper the hobby. Hopefully, Leighton, thank, thanks for. I listen. I always like talking about kids in the hobby. Uh, what was your next topic that you wanted to touch on? Uh, before we touch uh, upon that, Jeremy, I did want to add uh, something to what Andy was just saying because um, I think you're going to enjoy this, Andy. Um, so my son Crosby's seven. He'll be eight the day after Christmas. And I think, unfortunately for me, he's not a big collector yet, but we're, you know, fingers are crossed, right? Um, so I was at a convention uh, not that long ago um, in Fort Washington, uh, slash Valley Forge, you know, it was relocated to a different facility. And ironically, next door, they had another big convention, but it was comic related, but, you know, toy related, um, you know, things of that nature. And so I only bought my son. Uh, one thing from it, uh, he's a big Sonic fan, and there was a gentleman, um, you know, basically he was doing some painting on a variety of different mediums. And so um, I bought it for Crosby, uh, and he not only loved it, but we just went to another convention uh, called Chiller in New Jersey, where there's a lot of, like, movie stars, and, and, you know, I was hoping there'd be, like, Marvel-type people for him. There really wasn't that. But I'll tell you where we stopped. We stopped at two distinct booths. And they both really had nothing to do with Pokemon or cards or collectibles. One of them, Andy, had to do with art. And it was a gentleman who was really just painting. And even though um, you guys are painting different things, you're both artists. And I would say both from a hobby standpoint and then from an art standpoint, I really think it's cool that uh, my son, who's seven going on eight, um, and hopefully a lot of others out there, appreciate what you're doing and even the way you're saying, of course, adults are interested, that I kind of figured because, you know, we have the mindset to kind of understand we're a little bit more mature. But I absolutely agree with you. I think the art is mystifying kids, and uh, it's wonderful to see, uh, you know, with my son and others. So I just wanted to add that, uh, you know, to the little chat today. Yeah, you know, I want to add one thing real quick to that. Um, it also, we're in a new moment with these art cards, and especially with art cards that are authored, where people know the names of the artists and they know their faces and they are starting to collect certain artists for the first time really ever. It was always about the brand, the player, the favorite team, not the photographer who took the picture necessarily, right? Or ever. Uh, maybe with the exception of Dick Perez, Diamond Kings, you don't really know many names. But what this is doing is, maybe inspiring your child to do this because suddenly it's possible to be on a card besides just being a major league athlete. And that I believe has the power to turn on and keep a younger generation going. I'm not worried about this, ho this hobby at all, but that opens up a huge channel of inspiration for the young kids. Awesome. Well said. Well said. Agree. Back to you, Leighton. Great. So, Jeremy, I'll finish up with my second point for today. And we were talking just a little bit ago about how there's been, you know, this, this change of pricing now from PSA on downward, right? So they're trickling uh, effects or maybe causing um, other grading companies to maybe reevaluate their, 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 you know, their fees. And I was simply saying it to me, even though I know this is gonna be vintage spotlight, I think it's wonderful for all collectors of vintage and modern that we're gonna be able to take advantage and grade more cards for our registry. 
grade more cards that we just want for our PC, but that we couldn't afford to grade. Um, but the angle I'm going to take with this discussion for today is how, for me personally, who generally is dealing in vintage, and vintage can be described as a lot of different things and ways. But for me, that's, you know, let's say the 1970s and earlier. But in particular, I'm going to show off uh, not um, just the group, not in, individually, but it's this group of T206s that are polar bear backs. And as I was mentioning to you, Jeremy, they're, you know, not that much tougher than sweet caps and Piedmont backs. However, with the registry being really strong for T206s um, on the PSA registry, I really wanted to get them slabbed. However, with the prices, you know, going where they did over the last 12, 15, 18 months, it really, I, I had to shelve them. I couldn't sell them raw. It wasn't worth it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to grade them with a different grading company and sell for them for 40 cents on a dollar. Um, and thankfully they weren't burning a hole in my pocket, but this is my point. Um, when you're dealing with vintage is that generally things kind of either stay flat, maybe they, you know, they go up a little bit, they go down a little bit, but you're not going to lose 80% of the value of a T206 common. And so I don't feel that with, let's say, modern basketball, you know, for every draft class there is, there's always a couple really great kids, but then there's a lot of kids out of the 25 or 30 NBA teams, right, that, you know, aren't going to make it. And if you end up, let's say, in this weird time of grading where they have to either shut down grading again, raise fees, it's really uncomfortable to have hundreds or thousands of dollars just as a collector, forget about as a dealer. And so just cautioning everyone out there to make sure that we don't take a look at this reduced grading cost that's now being led by PSA, but you're going to see it across the board, I believe. Um, don't, let's say, make the same mistake you did before, which is, hey, let me just fling whatever I can against the wall, the old spaghetti method, and see what sticks. Um, and then I'm going to get back, in some cases, you know, prospects that either never make it or they made it, but yet just because of market saturation, the cards are selling for so much less than you actually paid just to even have them graded. So um, just keep that in mind uh, when you're when you're dealing with grading and vintage versus modern. So um, that's what I wanted to add for today. All right. Well, appreciate your insights, and uh, thanks for coming on. We'll see you again uh, a couple of weeks from now. Absolutely. Take it easy, gentlemen. All right. Thanks. See you later. Take care, bud. All right. So. Uh, I, I did miss this one. Tito says, "Yo, Vince," because uh, Leighton does look like Vince Vaughn. So uh, good, <laughs> good to see, good to see Leighton. And thanks for that, uh, T Dot. Let's go to a question for you from uh, Brendan Omelia. Uh, Andy says, "Talk about the design of '86 tops. Why do I love it so much?" Yes, I was an '86 <laughs> Mets fan too. What can you, what can you say to that? Why, why do you talk about why you love it so much? I, well, I think that's, I think that's what he's saying. What I think it's almost like. Like, like validate for him that it's an awesome design. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, these are subjective, you know, uh, reactions. But it is interesting how we tend to endear ourselves to certain designs further enlightenment, you know, it, it, proving the idea that part of our fascination with all this is visual. Uh, you, you know, th these are little art objects and maybe some of the less popular sets like the, what, the 90 Donruss with the, the it looks like a drop, red drop cloth. You know, people, you don't see them celebrated too much. And most people say, oh, that's a horrid looking set. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I think that, uh, I think that they, they speak to us and there's something about the 86 design and it's bold basic, strong, yet 
subtle way, uh, you know, is a positive role model maybe for us, especially if we're just tuning in when we're 12. It really catches your attention and keeps you there. It, uh, I like it. I like the design. I remember, you know, the Bo Jackson, the Barry Bonds in particular. But I think, you know, I like the I like Brendan's question because I think the answer to me is pretty simple. I don't know, Brendan, or, or you know, I, at least I don't think I do, and why he likes that. But, you know, I think it's just nostalgia and maybe what you remember collecting as a kid. What at that, like, it's almost like, why did I love that design back in 1986 versus why do I love it now? You know, if, if that's the case for Brendan, who maybe remembers opening those packs as a kid and finds himself chasing them or loving that design still to this day. I know for me, the 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 80s, when I was really in my the, the peak of my opening packs and building sets, all of those 80s designs, especially for the hockey cards, are like, and some of the, you know, the the 86 tops football and the, of course, all the Fleer basketballs. I mean, I remember these so well, and I still love them. I think it's because it's nostalgic. It takes me back to those, those, you know, those, those years of life where you just, you can live carefree and you don't know responsibility. Life is very easy back then. I wonder how much of it is that. And if, if that's something Brendan can even like confirm or, or deny for us, but um, I think a lot of it well comes said. back to nostalgia, right? I, I agree. Well said. And I think any, anyone from a generation who was a kid in the sixties will feel that way about 1961 or 56 you know, they look at it and they say, oh, I stuffed it in my bike spokes and we used to flip them against the walls. Of course, of course, that's what it is. It, it, of course, just like we come across a landscape that is familiar to us uh, that we remember from our youth, maybe. And we just want to sit and take it all in, yeah. you know, um, that familiarity, that nostalgia for sure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with I'm with uh, with you on that one. All right, cool. What's up? Uh, baseball card curmudgeon. And we got Junk Wax Investor in the house. What is going on? And Joe Pro on say props to Layton, who's no longer with us tonight, for helping me at the Mint Collective to look at my T206 Cobb. He was right on the money with condition and authenticity. Great vintage eye and wonderful to meet. Sorry, Joe, that we didn't get to that until Layton left for the evening. Tito says 80s was the best decade in human history. <laughs> uh, stated as fact, stated as fact. Skeppy in the house says name a couple specific cards to speak to artistically that were produced between 1985 till today. I mean, the, the cool thing about Andy is that if you've ever seen his his work or if you haven't, you've got to check it out. If you see if you've collected Top Spotlight or if you've seen his stuff on display at a card show, you know that Andy, I mean, I feel like you've, you must intimately know the designs of, of tops cards right from 52 till present day, or at least pretty, pretty recently. So I think you can answer this question quite confidently. I, I, I would expect. Well, again, you know, yes, I, I, I'm familiar with the, with, with the designs and the years. Um, but also it's again, subjective. So uh, of course I can easily say what speak to me artistically. That doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna speak to you. Um, but you know, of, of course the Sandy Alomar future stars, 1989, you know, and the Gary Sheffield 89 future stars, those are gonna do something when you see them because they were so exciting. They were so anticipated that, that like, Mark Grace, 88 Fleer, Sam Horn, 88 Fleer, for that matter, 88 Fleer, you know, those, those, those cards that 
you were waiting for that that you thought were going to be worth a bazillion dollars if you held on to it you know and then and then it and then it wasn't i don't know those speak to me artistically um the greg jeffries you know 88 down russ you know um those uh those those cards you know sure i the, the 88 score design even but it but what did i feel about those at first i think i, I remember that they, they each card looked like somehow like a a wrapper like, like a chocolate bar or something they, but they've aged well now now they're they're charming when i when i see them especially slabbed it reminds me how i guess sort of old they are and now they're yeah charming nostalgic so i hope that answers a question uh eight like skeppy one productions I, I like the word. I like the. I like calling them charming. I mean, I like. I, I will call cards beautiful, sexy, <laughs> even. Um, I've never called the card charming, but I'm going to add that to my uh, vernacular <laughs> if you don't mind. Uh, I want. Okay, so Brendan follows up, says confirmed. Eighty six oh. tops was my coming of age set. I chased all those Mets cards so hard, and they rewarded me with a World Series yeah. title. Incredible memories are burned into my soul. So there we. I mean, listen, I was speculating, but yeah. we were right. Like. It's because of that. That's why. That's why that design is so special and and, and resonates so well with Brandon. Be, Brendan, sorry, because he, that was his coming of age set. So yeah, it's nice. Brendan, do you even powerful. have the Brent gaff? Say again. I just, to, I just want to ask Brendan if he even has the Brent gaff. Let's hear it, Brendan. If you uh, let's wait for him to pop that back up in the chat. Let's go back to Andy because you know we were talking about your history in the hobby. But I want to—I want you to touch on a story you told me, or some experiences that you told me about um, when you first started drawing baseball players and started selling your prints. How old were you? When, how old were you? And where were you first selling your 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 very earliest original art? Um, behind the dumpster, behind in the back of the school. Uh, no, uh, in the school. I was fifteen. Um, you know, I have a couple right here. Here's examples of two of a. Uh, uh, this is an original drawing, actually. So I draw this on uh, mark, you know, with marker um, on paper, and and I would uh, show them around school and uh, take orders for you know I want a Michael Jordan, I want Phil Sims, you know, and I'd sell the Kinko's copies. So my dad would take me to Kinko's once a week and I had I had like a mead notebook filled with orders and you know it cost 250 for an eight and a half by eleven Kinko's copy. I sold them for five bucks and it cost three fifty for an eleven by seventeen. I charged seven and I didn't have to work at TCBY like the rest of my friends. It really caught on. And then my biography teacher said, you know, you should go hawk those at the NASA Coliseum. And I did. And actually, these these two were among the uh, stack I had of Islanders at the NASA Coliseum. And I ran into the the, the players of the family section. And I recognized Alyssa Milano because she was w dating Wayne McBean. But I was, of course, a huge Who's the Boss fan. And I'm like, thought I was going to be in trouble for a second. They're like, what, who, who did you make those? What, come here. Come over here. You know, do you know who we are? 
And by the end, of, they, they bought some, and then they brought me in the locker room after the game, and I got them signed by Baumgartner and Pat LaFontaine. They played the L.A. Kings. Uh, Wayne Gretzky came out, gave some autographs. I was standing right next to him. And then Marty McSorley and Baumgartner had gotten into a fight that game, and they were right next to me showing each other their scars and like, look, you got me right in the knuckle over here, you know, uh, you know and they were just, just friends. Um, I was 15 when, when that happened. Um, and I did that in school for, you know, I think two years. That's so um, cool. <laughs> so cool that you're standing there with Gretzky and you're standing there with McSorley and Baumgartner. The really? night they got, it's funny, these hockey players will get into a, a pretty violent fight on the ice. And then after the game, they can have a beer together because that's their job, right? Like, I mean, I wouldn't have known that if I wasn't standing right next to them. That was very no. special for sure. For sure, for sure. Yeah, T Dot yeah. says that that cool drawing. And here we have you already have, now you have an order. Brian Adams after seeing Griffey those, I want Jr. A Jr. and a Shohei Otani. Yeah, no. I have I have a Griffey Jr. Yeah, I have so I have so many. Actually, let's let's do this. Let's just see what we can. pull. This is like a whole stack of old high school high school stuff. Howard Johnson, another another take of Howard Johnson. This is later already. This is like this is like probably 1990. This is probably a year later. Go a bit. Uh, yeah, there got we go. Kevin Mitchell here. Sorry. Here's your here's your Griffey. Um, there was there a sticker go, there. Probably fell off. Oh man. So I, I was 16 when I drew these. Um, well, I was younger here. I was probably 10 when I drew that. So yeah, I got I got like a whole. I'm telling you, I got like huge stack of stuff. And that's all your originals from when you were younger. That's so cool. Yeah, pencil drawing of Eric Davis. Uh, little little crayon drawing of Wade Boggs. Yeah, so there's there's a lot a lot of stuff. I was drawing all the time, and I've just Even that, yeah, I've just been kind of doing this really like my whole life. <laughs> that crayon, that crayon drawing of Wade Boggs actually looked like Wade Boggs for the second I, I saw it there. Yeah, that you can tell that's Wade Boggs. I think I was. This is Manning. I think I was. Oh, that's probably 12 there. You can tell that's Wade Boggs. Meanwhile, Don Matting. <laughs> Thanks for working with me there, Andy. <laughs> well, I, sw I switched it on you really quick. So, yeah, a little assortment of childhood childhood drawings. Very cool. <laughs> that, is that Conseco? Yep. Mm -hmm. Good. Those are really cool. Really cool. Junk Whack Investor says thinks they're awesome too. So does Brian. Yeah, you're probably going to get some messages now with some uh, some commission requests. So there you go. So so speaking of all those, I mean, you start, you, you were selling these outside Nassau Coliseum when you're 15 years old. Inside. Uh, inside, selling them to the, to the players themselves in the locker rooms. <laughs> now fast forward, uh, whatever it is, 25 years or so, 30 years, and now you are drawing baseball cards for Tops. Yeah. And I mean, when part when Tops Project 2020 debuted in like early 2020, um, I was aware of it. I got the emails and I didn't, I didn't jump on in and buy cards. And I bought a few, you know, maybe a, uh, a card number 50 or something out of how many were there, 400. Bought a few cards, thought they were really cool. I loved the different, just all the different representations of these original cards. And now you were not in that project, but can you just take us through, you know, kind of how did you get involved? How, how did you start? 
painting cards, drawing cards for tops? Uh, well, um, as I say, you know, I've been been painting these cards my whole life. Look, I'm in here. Something I drew when I was when I was twelve. Um, this is a little index card, magic marker, oh. plus the back. So I have a whole bunch of those. Three of the cards in the new set um, I drew when I was twelve. The Alan Trammell and the Thurman Munson in the Spotlight Seventy Two set. If you take a look at those on the back, it says I, I drew them when I was twelve. So I've been drawing them my whole life. When I was in college studying painting at Roland School of Design, I made these huge oil paintings, probably 36 by 48, superimposing players I played softball with in, on Sunday mornings into like a 1980 tops design or an 83 tops design or an 84 tops design. The the iconography of baseball cards has followed me all, all, all through my whole artistic life. Um, yeah, so for 20 years, like made my my primary living uh, drawing celebrities for magazines like The New Yorker, Rolling Stone, Sports Illustrated, kind of every everybody. Um, and I was also a musician. I had three records and you know played 80 to 100 shows a year for a decade. And I was often doing those illustrations from hotel rooms or motel rooms, low lit not ergonomically friendly environments. Um, I would be out till three in the morning playing my music and getting up at six to draw like a president in a magazine you'd probably see and then drive another seven, eight hours, uh, do it all again for two weeks at a time. After a decade, my hand gave out, I got carpal tunnel and um, lost my real like fine motor skills, which is, which is where all of my power you know, since I was a kid, all of my superpowers came from my ability to draw a steady line. And now I also depended on it for a living. So that was a nightmare diagnosis. And one that I never, when people would warn me, like, you shouldn't use a mouse like that. You're going to hurt yourself. It's like, I'm going to hurt myself from a computer. What are you crazy? I never believed any of that. And, you know, did. Uh, I had to kind of, well, you either give up or reinvent. I mean, I'm, I'm not an illustrator. I illustrated for a living for 20 years. Illustration was my benefactor as I continued to be the artist that I always have been. And I'm grateful for that career and had a lot of fun with it. Um, and it was a, a passion-driven pursuit as well. It was actually, you know, originally I, I wanted to be... Uh, you know, Bruce Stark, the guy made these t-shirts, right? Like he was my total hero. So uh, got to satisfy that. Um, but I had to kind of like relearn how to, how to draw, reinvent. So an artist can always reinvent, I guess is where I was going with that. And I had to kind of determine the strength of this new weakness that I had, how, you know, I could still say what I got to say through a uh, shaky line. So, you know, I picked subject matter that was very safe and familiar. I just started drawing baseball cards again. Um, I did a piece for the New Yorker called The Loneliness of the Common Player that kind of tells that whole story and uses the illustrations. Uh, some of them I have right here. Um, it uses the illustrations. Um, 
friend of mine, Scott Rogowski, saw that. Uh, we bonded through a mutual love of random sports jerseys. I think I was wearing, a, I, don't know, I don't know if it was a Cubs Buckner jersey at my brother's birthday party. Uh, Rogowski was there wearing maybe an Olerud jersey. I don't know. Uh, he used to work at Tops. He thought the people over there would really like that article. Um, and then I ended up illustrating that Mike Schmidt interview. And, you know, I owe it to Rogowski for making that connection. Um, and they did like all that stuff. And they recognized uh, my lifelong passion for the, the brand. And one thing led to another. And, uh, you know, got the Spotlight 70 came out in August of 21. And it's, you know, a total dream come true. Absolutely. Yeah. As you're telling the story, you mentioned Scott Rogowski. I'm looking to see because he was on. He was on with me here uh, October 9th, 2021, episode 55. Actually, episode 55 of my After Hours show. So that's that's a, a whole other story. But uh, wow, that, that's really cool. I didn't I didn't realize that you and Scott were buddies. And uh, he's a great guy. So so yeah. did, did I miss the part about – Did sorry, did you say that he introduced you to the people at Tops because he was working there at the time? He, and said, hey, he had, he had, a- Yeah, he had worked there a bit and had made, you know, made an introduction. Uh, and, so, and so you, you didn't do, was that after top, uh, project 2020 and project 70 happened? Was it before that? Why were you know what? That's maybe like once a year for about three years, that piece came out in 2015. So since then kind of trying to make a meeting happen and, or a tour, you know, it wasn't even about a meeting at first. It was like, you're such a huge tops fan. You, you should, you should take a tour of the offices. I, I wanted to take a tour so badly totally it just kind of never happened you know things are busy everyone's busy kept kept it kept in touch uh about it maybe maybe once a year um and right before covid happened i checked in one more time and it wasn't a, a good time uh for the baseball card world and it didn't seem like the best time for tops who had explained their going through all kinds of transitions, laying off a lot of people. Let's let's put a pin in this, is what they said. And I kind of let it go. And then, you know, the boom happened. And I started getting back into my cards. My brother, he was going strong the whole time, but even more. So suddenly we're like talking about cards again, like we did when we were kids. And yeah, I kind of wondered if Rogowski was also, and I don't know, is the boom treating tops well? Like, uh, and I asked him that question. He said, in fact, tops just started a art collaborative set series called project 2020, which is totally killing it. And they're doing great. And it's actually a great time to talk with them, especially because now they're doing these art collaborations. So it suddenly became a great time, but it was years. Yeah. Sounds like it. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. So, so, but you didn't join these. Pro- they did twenty twenty, no. then Project seventy. I think the next one's Project one hundred or something like that. But right. you're not a part of those. They actually gave you your own full set, which right. to me is got to be the coolest thing ever for a a kid from from New Jersey, Long Island, uh, <laughs> who was Same you thing. know who was a Mets fan and and loved baseball cards. And here you are with your name on the packaging, not just a card, not just a, a direct to consumer card, but you know, that, that you would just buy the single, you have cards that come out of packs 
themselves. I mean, dude, how cool is that? Come on. How cool is that? I mean, it, it's very satisfying to me, I'll say. You know, it's, it's a dream come true. I mean, look, look, all I really have to say is three cards in the new set I drew when I was 12. That's so I, neat. I mean, if that doesn't tell the story of how psyched I, I am, uh, you know, I don't know how what many, would. How many cards are in this are in this spotlight set? 70 in both uh, with uh, 15 in the first series, I think uh, 25 um, variants. Um, in the new set, there are 90 cards total because you have you have 70 and then you have 10 rookies painted rookie cards contemporary so this was a little departure from the first year where we only i only painted uh, retired players now we have 10 rookie cards and then 10 uh twilights what i like to call twilights which which put a uh spotlight on each selected player's final issued card and of course i like to pick Roger Maris on the Cardinals, Frank Thomas on the A's, you know, Mike Piazza on the A's, Wade Boggs on the Devil Rays, Dawson on the Marlins. Uh, you know, look, there's a little bit of folklore that's happening here because it is a kind of storytelling. And people don't tend to, you know, really wax nostalgic when they see a 1979 tops lee mazzilli maybe sitting there in a book in a, a, a someone's booth but if you see a painting of it it becomes a different conversation so you know painting these cards uh, the, the reaction always is like oh my god i forgot frank thomas was on the a's and that's what i like about it it's fun and it keeps that story going and while these amazing artists are doing amazing tributes to all the iconic cards, I thought it would be fun to just kind of like bring up the rear, you know, be the caboose. <laughs> no, it's pretty. I think I think it's it's uh, I think it's pretty awesome actually that that because it does it reminds us of uh, the, I love the idea of the twilight. Now you've done you you mentioned like the first set, the second set, so you've done two sets now, two versions of that's this right. spotlight. And uh, yeah, yeah, awesome. this is the first one here. Spotlight so 70 2021. That's so cool. This is uh Spotlight 70 2022. That's so cool, man. So cool. So talk a bit about the so so what you get out of these packs are you know the the mass, I'll call it mass produced copies of your paintings, of your mini paintings. What are what is going on with the actual original paintings? Do you still have them? Does Tops own them? What happens? No, they're mine. Your, what happens with the and I know the answer to this, but this is for everyone listening and watching. What happens with the original paintings from these cards that you paint? Well, they're, I mean, they're, they're mine. They're, they're kind of like, I don't know, like a musician who keeps his masters. They're like the masters. So um, look, it's like here. Which, which is, which is which, because I painted them all the same size as the card. So that is the painting. That's the card. That's pretty cool, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, let me ask you this then. How happy are you with the way the actual card turns out that's based on your painting? Do you like the look and feel of the cards as much as the paintings themselves? It's tops. Like, when did I ever not? Yeah, fair. That's the fair thing, enough. working with them. It's great because they're like, is it okay if we do this and this and this and this? Like, 
you're tops. <laughs> of course it's okay. <laughs> like I love, I love your decisions. Like yeah. your decisions are what got me into this. So you're not going to question it? No. I mean, you know, the Mark McGuire artist signed limited edition of 20 that they released last year has a Yankees logo on the back of it. And they're like, oh, shit, you know, oh, I, I saw it. And they were like, oh, shit, you know, what should we do? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to curse twice. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, Miles Davis says you make a mistake, you know, do it twice. Um, <laughs> you know, we can halt production and all, or we can, you know, I mean, just kind of like, well, I mean, Go that's kind of awesome. I love contributing to the error card. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, we all we all love these little imperfections, but that is part of what endeared me to the brand honestly. And I remember talking with them in the beginning about my style and about embracing imperfection, especially ever since my injury. And they were sort of like, that's, you know, that's a big, big part of what, what, what we do here, you know, yeah. uh, what we believe in anyway, the ethos. So, uh, yeah, this is like a whole stack of, these are like the original spotlights. These are all paintings. So you may be familiar with the cards. These are the the paintings. The original. So the you original. would you would paint those. You would then ship them or drop them off at Tops. They would use them. I to... scan. No, same yeah. thing I do for magazines. Um, I send a file. Okay. So they don't they don't need the actual card. I I. It's like being a musician in a studio, and then you want to master it and mix it before you send it out. So I scan it. I make sure it's camera ready. Okay. Yeah, you know, and then I send them the file that they need. Same thing as if, it, if I was a photographer and I took pictures of the baseball players. You know, send the file. So right. So now yeah. these original paintings, you you still own them, and uh, you sell them, right? You you offer these up for sale. Tops it. That's fine. It's it's your property. You can sell them. And and how has the how has the hobby public uh, received your original art at the at the shows? At, I mean, I know I saw you set up at Mint Collective. I saw you set up at the Vegas Industry Summit selling the cards. I'm sure you've been to more than just those two shows with them. How has the reception been? Uh, well, like I said, I have a lot of amazing conversations, for, first first of all. So even if I sold nothing at every show, uh, I'd still be going to them because I really enjoy showing the work. And people really enjoy looking at it, whether they buy or not. And I get into really interesting conversations. It's a lot of fun. And yeah, it's always also worth it uh, in a financial sense to go. And that feels really good because I really like painting. <laughs> and I really like painting what I want to paint. And it seems to excite collectors who then buy it and as a fine artist that's always what i dreamed of doing yeah. and the arrangement that you know that's its own dream come true so it's a give and take you know um but yeah the collectors have definitely been excited i've sold a bunch of originals especially the first series there's maybe about half left um, haven't really started selling the new series yet. There are a few now, like, you know, that will, well, well, they'll start getting, getting out there. So, uh, one thing I've been doing is having a lot of fun painting, like large scale, 
So these are all new. Maybe I'll show you a couple of these. These are all really big watercolors. <laughs> so like, you know, painting a painting is kind of fun. <laughs> right. So these are I love that, that design. Oh, oops. Pat Riley, that's awesome. Pat Riley, coach of the year. This one, I like this one. 79 highlights. Yaz and Brock hit their 300th. Johnny Bench, I just love the dust. I love the dust in that in that painting. Sorry, the it's a little, a little hard to see, but small you head get on the idea. Body on that one. You get the idea. Yeah. Scotty oh. Pippen. I, I'm just like busting out these large scale ones. They're a lot of fun. A uh, Babe Ruth. This one. There's a. Monty Urban. Hall of Famer. Well, I believe. Relic. So I I will have these with me. I had a few with me at CSA. These uh, larger scale ones, and collectors are buying these as well, which that makes me really pleased. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's been been a lot of fun. I'm extremely moved and grateful, and excited and motivated, and inspired by the whole thing. It's so cool, man. It it really is. All right, gonna go a couple of comments here. Uh, Joe says Rhode Island School of Design is some pedigree. Uh, good evening to you, Lapper. <laughs> Thank you. Mosaic Mind says, "Come on, Phillies! Yeah, let's get an update on the score, if somebody would mind." And Dexflow lets me know that he made his biggest buy today: a PSA eight Michael Jordan '86 Fleer rookie card. Congratulations, Dexflow! I gotta think now is probably the best time to buy that card in the last few years. So. Uh, good on you for being patient, waiting till now. I hope you're happy with the copy that you did buy. Um, Andy, so, uh, you know, I want to ask you this about um, being a tops artist. Be and if I can call you, I know you're more than a tops artist, but in the context of, of the hobby, you you are. You're, you're a guy who does art for tops. You're not alone. There's probably, what, 70, 60, 70 other artists who have who have who have, now i don't know if any of them have had their own set but they all took part in these more collaborative the project 70 the 2020 etc have you built relationships with any of these guys and and gals did you know any before are you friendly with them now do you guys hang out i mean i've met several of them um at the at the national and seen you know i bought some art from uh, blake jameson uh at at the at the national a year and a half ago um, you know, Lauren Taylor is at these events. Uh, yeah, speak a bit about is there camaraderie between these tops artists, and if so, are you are you a part of that uh, fraternity? I'm I'm grateful to know these fine, uh, motivated, inspiring artists. Yes, I have had the great pleasure and honor of meeting most of them and um, getting into. Uh, all kinds of great conversations about art and life and collecting with with many of them and definitely I'm, I'm in touch with many and consider them my friends for sure um that's a 
been a very special part of it. Yeah, and they're all artists I look up to, and they all have a lot of integrity, and uh, you know, a lot, a lot of love for what we're doing. So it's like a double. With us, it's a double-edged camaraderie too, because it's it's art and also collecting. Yeah. So we're we're like a unique bunch, I, I guess, in that in that way. So there's a lot that brings us together. So when we're all in the same room, I you feel you feel something. For sure. Makes sense. Makes sense for sure. Here's a question from uh, Skeppy. It says, "Where do you draw inspiration from, and do you take breaks from art to reset your creativity?" Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I mean, taking a break, you know, it could be argued is the part where I'm painting. <laughs> uh, so I don't take breaks from art. I mean, I took a, you know, I, I take a lot of Epsom baths to reset. Uh, watercolor is really demanding. It's really hard, but it happens really fast, but, but it's, it's, if if you guys knew my routine, you might be astounded. But you know, and so is that a break? I don't know. I don't think of it as a break as much as part of the process. Um, yeah, but okay, I'm being into. I'm, I'm answering you in a very intellectual way, in a very basic way. Um, yeah, you can't be working all the time. Um, I mean, I'm guilty of having had periods in my life where that's all it was and like work was my worth and all that. And I learned to go get past that. And it's made the work actually even more pleasurable because it kind of doesn't own me. <laughs> so uh, where do I draw inspiration from? Mm, my emotions. So if something happens and reverberates in a positive way or a negative way or a happy or sad way, that will be reflected in the work. If it's a sad thing, it might make for a happy painting to get me out of it. It might be sadder than the sad thing. I don't know. But it's, I, I pay attention to my emotions. And I think that's at the end of the day where I draw inspiration from because it's all an attempt to sort of make sense of life. Even when I'm painting baseball cards, um, you know, there's one aspect of it going on, which is the subject matter. But then there's a whole other thing happening when it comes to application mm. of color with water and watercolor. It's very difficult. It's the most difficult artistic practice because you can't cover your errors or start over or try again you know fix anything everything tells the story of your state of mind in the moment you put it down so the only way to really succeed is to completely surrender to what is probably your perception of failure but to others is complete reckless bravery. When they see an unfettered stroke, they know it was intentional because if it's a stutter step, you can tell. And so when people look at my work, whether they care about baseball or not, they see 
a truth <laughs> at the base level. And also, I'm a color theorist. So there's the science of color happening. And when we look at cards, because I like to think I, I paint the physical objects of a baseball card. Like I, there's some 1960 cards that are they're painted on a darker card stock. And I paint that into the cards. If you look at the 1973 Dusty Baker that I painted in the last set, you'll see it's got that kind of cream base that the 1973 tops had. It's not quite white. So I, I like to paint the paper, the ink, the year of the film, all that stuff. But that comes from color theory. That's like going out and painting a landscape and nailing that sunset to the point where someone who grew up with that sunset is like, oh my God, that's exactly what it is, you know? Cause it spoke to you, it spoke to me. I can give it back to you through the science of color, which is the same thing that's happening here in real life anyway, reflective rays of color. Just like a musician can distill a feeling down to sound with the science of music. These two notes together make a brown sound or a orange sound or whatever. And these colors together or this stroke makes this happen. There's a science to it. So, you know, it all, it all comes together um, in, in, in each uh, work. All right. Well, that was deep, man. I mean, I, I was on the edge of my seat, literally, uh, didn't know where you were going to go with that, but uh, I'm not sure I did either, or that I even went anywhere. But it covered some things. No, well, you, you, I mean, it's just a, it's a peek in, into your mind and how you, how you, what, what goes through it. What, what, what like, I mean, we can look at, at at any artist's work, and all you see is is that two dimensional representation of color and design um, on on a on a on a medium. And now, uh, based on you know you went through a lot of detail there within your process. And uh, I think that adds to me, it adds context and information uh, and depth to, to the, to your works specifically. Right. Because it's without, without that color, without nailing the color of the, the psych, the psychology of each card, it, that's what makes people stop at my table when they don't know spotlight 70 or don't know anything about what's happening here. They, see the those colors like we talked about when you walk into the old book room there's the colors of like ah now here we are this is i'm just at first glance i could see this is all stuff i'm gonna like they look and they're not i don't think they think they're paintings they just see those proper colors and they stop and some people as soon as they realize their paintings are like oh okay that's not what i'm looking for and they, they keep going but it draws them in and then for some people who then maybe weren't looking for paintings, but then realized that they are, now suddenly they're like, wait, you painted a 1987 Topps Pete Incavelia? Oh my God, I love that car. When I was a kid, that was a huge, oh my God. And then we start getting into it like that, but they react to the card with that same nostalgic feeling. If it was just black and white, they might be like, huh, Pete Incavelia, 87 Tops. Yeah, totally. But we wouldn't get into the emotional part of it without the color, in my opinion, if they were all black and white drawings. There's something happens in the when you give back the color of those cards yeah, and the feeling yeah. of them. Well, Skeppy goes on to say, I can tell I touched a creative nerve with that question. <laughs> Great answer. Yeah, you did. 
Thank and you. Daniel Busby wants to know, are your custom cards gradable by PSA? Now, I don't know if he re is referring to the Tops Project 70 or the, the Project Spotlight or your original art cards that you showed, but why don't you address both? Um, well, I mean, I don't think they could grade them necessarily because, uh, you know, they're not going to look at the edges of this watercolor paper here. Uh, you know, let's see. And, pull out this Mark Wallers here, for example, and, and say that the corners are messed up because I'll say, no, they're not. They're perfect. They're exactly how I wanted them to be. Yeah. And, you know, they're not going to say there's a drip of ink up there. So you, you ruined it. I was like, uh -uh, I owned it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Jim mint. So they can't, you know, they're not art critics, so they can't give it a rating. Like, you know, we're going to give this a six. Yeah. You're a little shaky there on his foot. <laughs> but I believe they can authenticate the signature uh, is the what I'm told. Yeah. They can authenticate the artist's signature and leave it to you to presume that uh, the art on the front is mine. Right. As and far does, as I understand. He does clarify the originals, which is what we're speaking about. The originals. So, okay. Yeah. 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 I, so I think I think that they can be slabbed in in you know in their own way as as original art, yeah. authentic or authentic uh, signature. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's keep. Uh, Brian Adams says Andy is spot on. Two music notes combined will create a color in the musician's mind. Very uh, very cool. And Mosaic Mind, I collected the whole seventy three tops baseball set because I love the action photos. Did you paint any cards from that set, Andy? The the uh, in action. Yeah. Or, no, Isn't just... that love the action? I did paint 73 tops. Yes, I do have a few 73 tops. I mentioned the Dusty Baker. I think there's a few others. Um, I love the action photos, like just the way the act. Yeah, they're great. The, the photos are, are, are all are all great. Um, you know, I, I love painting them. All right, let's keep on going. Uh, let, let's switch it up for a moment. So you are, I believe you're going to be doing something. You're with respect to your baseball card art at Art Basel. And can you, you want to talk a bit about that and what is Art Basel and what are you going to be doing there? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much has been announced. Um, so I guess I'll just sort of say that working with uh, Collectible and, uh, and eBay, I'm putting together a big exhibit as while Art Basel is, is happening at the Scope gallery and i'll have like about 100 works on view uh so more details to come on that but art basel is a you know a big fair festival for all the you know new contemporary art or what have you uh and it happens in uh, miami once a year okay. or so i'm told okay. i don't know you know i've been in my studio all this time so i, I don't really come out for air uh, in, in this way, but that's is uh, okay. So uh, first time I'll be going to Art Basel. Yeah, I'm not I'm not familiar with it either, but uh, you had mentioned it in conversation. I think it's like it the national for for, for art. Uh, fine art for for okay. for the or the art world. Let me go back to uh, let me go back to the the tops uh, cards that you and other artists have done, and something that I've always kind of wondered was. You know, when, when, when the tops, when Project 2020 was first, when it was ramping up, I thought that a lot of people who were fans of those artists would now be buying their 
their baseball cards because it's their favorite artist. And that might open up new people to the sports card world, at least kind of like just a little nudge, you know, here's a little nudge. Remember these from when you were a kid, maybe you want to come, maybe this is your, your, your gateway in back into the hobby. And I was wondering just in your travels, talking about the, the tops projects and your product with other artists and, and your uh, fans of your work, did that happen to your understanding? Did the did this these projects by Tops bring new people into the hobby by via being fans of the artists? Um, I'm sure that that has happened. Um, many of those artists have huge followings from all different worlds, and yeah, I'm sure that it has. I don't think I can produce a stat off the top of my head, but I would be willing to bet that it has widened the demographic of appreciation for these cards, uh, for sure. Um, and like I said, it reverberates the other way too. For the first time in history, you have people collecting artists. Mm. And that's really interesting and well, you know, brings I, a lot I, of potential. I, I saw a lot of people who back in, in you know, 2020 i guess it was especially you know between the summer and the end of 2020 lots of collectors were collecting the project 2020 cards and then i i heard a lot of chatter i saw people posting i talked to people who were then going and seeking out original art from these artists so maybe they maybe and i don't know just like well there's no we, we don't have any stats to pull from here but or data but as I was expecting, perhaps the fans of the artists would become card collectors. Maybe it worked more the other way, where the card collectors became art collectors or picked up the odd piece of these artists. I wonder which one had the bigger the bigger force. That's definitely happening, and I think the I think personally the art Basel world the. New York art world, maybe uh, the contemporary art world could stand to learn a lot about how to connect artists with viewers and collectors through the mechanically reproduced image, which could also be collected. Um, you know, we'll learn from the this collectibles world. So I, I think it's a matter of time before before that happens as well. Yeah. We'll see where it goes for sure. Astros one, we find out right there. Thanks for the update. Hmm. Is that is and I, this is going to sound like a bad question, but is that the World Series? Is it over now? Yeah, it's over. They won the World Series. That was didn't they? Funny. Unless I'm mistaken, I, I don't. I, that would be funny if all, everyone got their information from me. Yeah, uh, or, or or me on that. I have. I don't. I, I think so. Yeah. Um, so we talked about. Uh, the 73 baseball set, uh, Mosaic Mind wondered if you have any examples to show. Uh, I don't want you to start digging through to search for it right now, but it, unless you happen to know where one is right away. And I'll just say to you, David French, uh, Andy showed off quite a bit already, so just feel free to rewind. Andy, maybe show off a couple more pieces if you, that, that you haven't shown yet uh, for people to see. They won the World Series. Thank you for confirming Mosaic Mind. I think most people were cheering for the Phillies, weren't they? Most people, unless you were uh, in Houston, I think you were cheering for the Phillies. That was my understanding. So here's here's the short print 
82 tops Reggie Jackson from the Spotlight 72 set. I like this one. Um, here's a short print. Here's the short print. Uh, um, David Wright. There's only 15 of those printed, I believe. Oh wow. Um, let's see what can I show off? Where's that Dusty Baker? I think Dusty Baker is actually in the other set. Um, this is kind of a funny story. So this is the Andre Dawson on the Marlins painting for his uh, Twilight card. So I had the chance to to meet him at one of the CSA shows, and I like to present the athletes that I paint with their cards. So someone made the introduction, a Topps card, and he painted this card view, and I'm giving it to him, and I like saw his face when he saw that it was the Marlins because he didn't have any context to you know understand that this was like a chaser and it was a special Twilight card. I painted you, Mr. Dawson, in all of your glory for the Marlins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah oh here's your 76 tim mccarver uh yeah i don't think i have any 73s in this set but here's a, here's a 74 juan marshall again these are these are all the original paintings these are not yeah. the cards these are the paintings for those of you just turning it tuning in see so here's here's a question that just came in andy mosaic mind says from empty canvas to finished work, how long does it typically take you to paint one card? I mean, there's no typical. And I would say, you know, that's that's the most popular question that anyone asks. And, you know, there's two ways I like to answer that. One, I like to say, you know, like, if it takes me 40 minutes, that's the same amount of time it took Philippe Petit to tightrope across the World Trade Center without a net. So the real question is, how long did it take you to prepare to world to, to tightrope across the World Trade Center without a net? <laughs> uh, and if I do it in eight minutes, you know, that's like how long it takes George Gershwin to play Rhapsody in Blue. So... Right. Time is irrelevant. And uh, I used to spend, I, I studied Renaissance painting techniques. So since I'm 15, you know, I, I was I was studying anatomy, like the way Michelangelo studied it at Columbia University in a graduate drawing program when I was 17, um, drawing from skinned cadavers and morgues. Mm. Like I took my study very seriously and wanted to learn how to paint like Velasquez and Vermeer and would spend, I spent almost three years on one painting. It's way more difficult to embrace imperfection than achieve the illusion of perfection. Perfection doesn't actually exist. Imperfection does. So showing it, is in my, to my mind for my pursuit more brave therefore scarier therefore more on the line therefore more charged with pur purpose that the viewer can feel and so you know that's what i see happening when people look at the stuff it's it's um there's something else happening. Uh, you know, the, I, I feel like people are appreciating the subjects that I choose, but also the way I paint them, the fact that they're paintings. And, it, you know, it's not just artists or songwriters or tightrope walkers or pianists. 
it's it's any real skill that requires training you're not when you go to purchase or or, or purchase that person's services you're not necessarily you know paying them for their time you're paying them for their expertise which has taken sometimes years and decades to cultivate and to, to, to establish and to to refine right and that's why certain that's why doctors make a lot of money that's why lawyers bill out so much accountants bill out so much it's it's because these aren't uh these aren't um skills that 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 they that, that anyone can just do you need you need a long time to refine them and again it's not it's not just professional uh you know professionals accountants lawyers and that engineers and architects it's also it's artists it's musicians it's any it's anybody who's putting their you know athletes there's a there's another it only takes 60 minutes to play a, a hockey game or or 48 minutes to play a basketball game but so they're not only get they're not getting paid for the amount of time on the court they're getting paid for their natural their god-given skills and all the effort and practice and focus that they put in along the way and, I, and the same goes for for you painting a baseball card if it takes you 60 seconds or 60 minutes or 60 hours doesn't really matter right it's the fact Real, that man. you're that only you can create what you're creating so. it's the end result yeah it's the end result you're paying for the peace <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, yeah exactly you said it you said it and 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 also you know what else the other thing people want to own is the only one of something yeah and so as someone who paints with ink and watercolor on pieces of paper i have an only one of something available to offer and there are one of ones of each one of these cards issued uh as chasers you know people are spending quite a bit of money on some of these one of ones um you know there's something something different about a hand made one of one so something i hear collectors tell me a lot that's interesting to me uh that i like hearing that they feel they're getting two collectibles in one uh a, a one of one and also an original painting <laughs> and yeah. you know in the two worlds that i kind of am from which is an art world and a card world it is what that that's true that it are, it are they are both of those in one and yeah. in the case of the originals used to create the tops card you're getting a third element thrown in there as you know it's a it's a like a legit piece of baseball historical memorabilia in that it's a piece of art used to create a tops card so it ups it even one you know so so the originals used to create the tops cards are i you know i think the most precious in, in a way um you know yeah so you know speaking of that here's that here's that trammel i think i told you about here's i do this when i was when i was 12. so this is in the in the new set it's in a lucite brick here but that's that's the trammel that's the original that's 12 year old you painting index that. card yeah i drew it on my kitchen table after school one day <laughs> and that, now it's an actual now it's an action who would have thought it's that many actual. years ago sitting at the kitchen table you paint that and then 20 30 years later it's actually in packs being distributed that is the that's so cool I'm, man. i'm gonna one-up you on that one 
You're one upping yourself here. It's your story. I'll one up my own story. Who would have thought that? Yes, indeed. But it was also issued with an Alan Trammell autograph on it. So there are a few out there with auto on it. Um, and my son ripped one when I gave him a box. So he opened the box. So my own, so really, so who would think that my son would open a box of Topps card to pull a Topps card that I drew when I was 12 that has Alan Trammell's autograph on it. And oh, also as a red back. So there's only 10 of them, 10 of those. So that's in our PC. That's crazy. And so that's really like the full circle mind blow, you know, and I got to meet Trammell and he held that actual painting. And that was also kind of a trip for me. Come on. That's, <laughs> that is so cool. That's so cool. All right. We're going to, we're going to uh, start to wrap up, which if you've seen the show before, it can take a bit of time. Sometimes we have some, some questions still coming so in. Seatbacks um, up and I should, yeah. seatbacks up and okay. trade tables in their upright position. Okay, exactly. got it. Um, so the first first one I want to go to is, uh, well, there's a couple here. David French says, uh, the final three minutes of airtime for this show should be for you playing your guitar. You can have the outro. I'm going to offer you that, Andy. <laughs> if you want to play guitar as we uh, end the episode, you're welcome to. I'll let you wow. know that for a moment. And then Skeppy says, do you, teach, do you teach or have you taught art? And if so, he has a follow-up question. Do you do any teaching? Well, you know, I like to think every every interview I do, every conversation I have, every bit of writing I do is a is a I, I like to teach. I'm I have not uh, I'm not a professional um, instructor, um, but through my art and part of my purpose is is definitely teaching. I've been working on a writing project for quite a long time that I'm excited to eventually release into the world, and I believe there's a basically everything that I know is in it. And, uh, you know, so I think that will be a teaching tool at, at, at best or at worst, I'd like it to be a movie, but, uh, you know, so, so yeah, teaching is very important to me. But you're not, you're not actually facilitating any classes or having students show up and you're taking them through the, the, the process of paint. No, I don't, I, I don't have that uh happening no not everybody not, who does it needs to teach it that, that that's all that's okay i would say are you are you gonna pull out your guitar as we uh end up as we end the show uh sure is it is it over is, it, is that the time i have i have two more two more questions i want to ask you uh before we do end it um what's next for you as far as sports card art goes and maybe you know your your art career in general um well what's next is uh focusing on on basil so part of part of the so some of the things that would be on view there um there, there's a really cool um well you know what I'll, I'll 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 announce that um in time i'm focusing on on basil and all of the things that will be showing there and uh, some of which I'm, I'm still making a few things and you know i'm doing a lot of uh a lot of paintings that have you know that that don't have anything to do with sports or sports cards but you know in on sizes that are two and a half by three and a half and all, all kinds of other things so that's what's next a lot more to come okay well good stuff. <laughs> and you so you've done work for tops have you been have you ever been and you don't have to answer this but i'll ask anyway have you been approached by any other companies, card companies, to do any work for them 
Um, if you were, would you? Are you? Are you? Are you uh, exclusive to Tops? How does that work? Oh, I mean, I'm. You know, I don't have an exclusive contract, but uh, that's my identity. Yeah, you grew up on top, so you're happy. You're happy doing that, doing it with that brand. More than happy. It's just, yeah. yeah, it's just. Uh, you know, I they came here to the studio. This is also in, in my home um, to film originally the promo for Spotlight Seventy, and I remember uh, Chuck on his way out saying. Uh, the 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 your your reverence for the brand is fully apparent <laughs> as he looked around the you live the in home. it you 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 uh, live in your brand you are your brand <laughs> yeah yeah and how how it how it uh, I, I guess what 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 he what he was meaning and what I mean all kind of combined is that you and correct me if I'm wrong but the tops brand is clearly a part of you by the way you're living and by your, your surroundings. Is that kind of what he was saying? He could tell that you yeah. were, that you had uh, some, some love for the brand, the tops brand. That I had a lot, that I had a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. For That's sure. Cool. That's yeah. Cool, for sure. All right. Well, yeah, let's, uh, let, let's wrap it up. And uh, right. you, you, Hey, listen, we've never had, we've never had a musical performance on this show. Episode 160 is tonight. It's almost fitting that it's somewhat of a milestone episode where we're going to go style. All right. Well, since, okay, you know what? The other night I was walking home uh, and uh, with, a, with a friend and um, there was a karaoke happening on my block in a new bar and uh, stopped in and we both did a song. So I'm gonna play the song I, I did as we, as we go out. And uh, first I wanna say thank you to all of you watching and for the questions and the comments. And Jeremy, thank you so much for having me on this, uh, this great show. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It's a real honor. And uh, yeah, thank you all. Right. And we are, we are gonna end this. So put the comments up if you want, but I'm probably just gonna end this uh, while he's well, he's mid-song, so thank you, everybody, for watching. Uh, again, tomorrow night, Mark Mater on Collectible Live at 7 o'clock Eastern. Tuesday, uh, Scott Roskine from Connected on Collectible Live at 7 o'clock Eastern. No shows next week. We'll be at the Toronto Expo. See everybody there who will be there. And with that, we'll turn it over to Andy. Here comes Johnny singing, Wolkie's goodies. Beep, bop, baloo, baby, what I say. Here comes Johnny singing, I got a woman down in the tunnel trying to make it pay. He got the action, he got the motion. Yeah, boy can play. Dedication, devotion, turning on the nighttime end of the day. Do the song about the sweet loved woman. He do the song about the night. Maybe do the walk. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.